This is a Fubar Radio podcast. For more information, go to fubarradio.com. Callum McSwiggan on Fubar Radio. This is LGBT Plus History Month. Hello, and welcome back to the Callum McSwiggan Show. This Ooh. is the final episode of our LGBT Plus History Month specials. And this episode, we really wanted to do something about the forgotten letters of the LGBTQIAP2+. Did I get it right, Rowan? Rowan's here. Yes. Nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We wanted to talk about the forgotten letters within that acronym. So this episode is going to be all about intersex and asexual people. Um, And speaking of asexual people, we have the lovely Rowan Ellis. Hello, Callum. Sat opposite me. <laughs> I, I almost forgot your name then. And we're, we're very that good was, friends. You were like panicked slightly <laughs> I, I in your I looked down at my sheet yeah. like, what's her surname? No, I do, I do know your surname. Uh, how are you doing, Rowan? Um, yeah, I'm great. Good. Shall we dive right in and talk about asexuality? I think because I think asexuality uh, or being asexual is really, really interesting because I think there's a very kind of rigid definition of what being asexual is. But I think there's a lot of people who kind of almost like deviate outside of that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I would think that you kind of fell into that category. So so I think it's interesting because I think that it's it's whenever an identity is trying to find itself and its place within a movement or if it's place within it's like its definition it will tend to go quite hardline and say like this is what being asexual is because it, it means like we have legitimacy because we have like named ourselves and we have defined ourselves and that's what legitimacy is but i do see asexuality as a massive spectrum mm-hmm. and i think that we do a disservice to people who may fall somewhere on that spectrum to define it in a really limited way Mm -hmm. um and so for me i'm kind of a bit like uh i don't necessarily know what a rigid definition would be i I guess the hardline thing would be like absolutely no sexual attractional feelings from someone and then that kind of can go into behavior i guess because as you know like kind of identity and behavior don't necessarily match up for any sexuality um but yeah for me i feel like it's it that that loose definition actually can be really useful even though it feels like we should be defining it in really strict terms so that we can feel like we have a definition like we're 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 a thing like and then you can kind of deviate from that as as you wish yeah Uh, yeah, it's interesting because we i think the first asexual guest we ever had on this show was the lovely amelia ace i don't know if you yes i'm um, I'm familiar ah lovely good good (laughs) good glad to hear it um and amelia talked a lot about that and i think i didn't even realize to the extent that it was before that like how how much it is a spectrum you know there are asexual people out there who say you know oh i sometimes I feel sexual attraction but most of the time I don't or it may require you know a certain feel like demisexuality for instance Mm, which is uh, where you kind of need that emotional connection emotional bond to feel sexual attraction and then I also thought you know asexual people don't have sex turns out I was wrong like some (laughs) don't but but a lot of people um, do I I feel like you may have some things to say about that I don't yes. want to push you into any conversations <laughs> that you're not comfortable with. So, okay, here's the thing. Do you know what? I haven't talked about this in like on the internet and whatever, but I'm like, do you know what? Safe space. We're here together. Um, Should I, we hold hands? I mean, my hands are so sweaty. <laughs> I, t- I was saying earlier, like, Callum only seems, well, like, Fubar only seems to come on this show when I'm on my period and I'm really sweaty, like, it's un- unseasonably hot outside. <laughs> and I don't know how we've managed to, like, have those again. But at least um, it's radio, you know, nobody can see you yeah. except the people watching on the cameras. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think that I, I completely understand the 
urge to talk about asexuality within the queer sphere. Yeah. But for me, it feels more of a Venn diagram than it does a full circle. Because sure. what I don't want to happen is that people who should would and can align themselves with asexuality in some way, with demisexuality, for example, feel like they can't approach the community or that there's something wrong with them because they don't consider themselves queer. Um, and I think, so for example, if you are, for all intents and purposes, someone who identifies as a straight man who doesn't quite feel the immediate urge and sexual feelings towards your girlfriend but you need a little bit of time to get to know her and develop emotional feelings for her i don't want you to feel like you can't have a space within asexuality because mm. you don't have a space within queerness and you and you don't align yourself and identify in that way i sure. feel like that's completely legitimate in the same way that people who feel that they are queer and they're asexual deserve a space in that community so are you saying that if that somebody you know somebody doesn't necessarily have to in any way align themselves with the lgbt plus community because they're asexual is that yeah. is that what you're getting yeah at? i think it's pe- it's up to the individual and what i worry about in trying to gain legitimacy from the lgbt community um that's that asexual people might try and do in the same way of like we need a hardline definition maybe take hardline every single person who's asexual has to also identify as being queer Mm -hmm. and i feel like because it's such a spectrum you have people who are every kind of sexual identity so like i am just because i'm asexual doesn't mean i'm any less of a lesbian and i feel like there are a lot of people who say well just because i'm asexual doesn't necessarily mean i'm not hetero like hetero romantic at the same time and i think how far you want to align yourself with queerness is entirely up to you and i also think it it also potentially kind of clouds over people who identify as being asexual not because it's an innate thing that has happened from birth but because they've been through trauma for example by trying to legitimize ourselves often the asexual community um, distance themselves from people who experience sexual trauma because it's a lot neater to say we're like gay people because we have always been like this since birth. Yes, And I think it's really important to acknowledge the fact there are a lot of people who have been through sexual trauma and, and were sexual beforehand and afterwards identify somewhere along the asexual spectrum or sex repulsed and that they also need a space in the asexual conversation mm-hmm. that won't necessarily be there if we're saying we can only exist in queer spaces with other queer people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's the thing that's kind of I feel like seems quite controversial to say, but I feel no. like actually it, it's trying to be more inclusive of everyone who's on the asexual spectrum Completely. rather than trying to shut down and say ace people can't be queer because like I'm queer and I'm ace, so that's yeah. something I obviously believe can be true. But I think it's it's making a space for everyone to feel that rather than to kind of segment and say mm-hmm. this is something you can't be if you're also this. Well, I know that there are also people with medical conditions and things like that. For instance, like I I know somebody who genuinely doesn't have a rectum like it that it, it doesn't function properly for them um and so they're unable to, it's, it's a gay man i'm talking about mm. so they're unable to have anal sex for instance um and so they're like oh do i identify as asexual do i not identify as asexual because of that you know because they they may want that penetration or whatever it is but they may not physically be able to so they may have the desire for it but not have the functionality or ability to do that and i think there's cases like that where it's super super interesting and i think asexuality more than any other identity i think it's the most vague gray area one mm. you know if somebody tells you that they're asexual that can mean so yeah, many yeah. things um, and can be so personal and can be so personal yeah. yeah and i think that even so for example like the example of your friend even if that person then said actually i've decided i don't actually identify as being asexual for x y and z reasons actually having a cohesive and really robust asexual community what that can do is say okay well in that case like here is a group of people who 
thrive on the idea of discussing sex and what sex you do and don't want to have and the communication there, actually there might be some information that we can transfer over and say, well, if you're someone who has some sexual urges, but these are certain like body parts you don't want to use or can't use, here are other ways you can experience sensuality or attraction or love or affection, which aren't necessarily based around specific sexual acts. Mm. And I think that's actually something that can be really useful for anyone. Like yeah. for me, sensuality and sexuality are very separate. So I, I like sex is like meh like it's whatever I, I'm not very into it but it took me a really long time to figure that out because I was so into like sensuality yeah. and feeling connection with someone in various ways so it took me a really long time to work out that that was what was going on because I was kind of like well I'm enjoying this but only certain bits of it and it wasn't until I sure. took, took account of the bits that I was enjoying and I was like Oh, okay. <laughs> that, make, that makes sense now. I get now. it now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this may surprise you, but um, I've had a lot of people in the past assume that I am asexual or I or you were going to say, you may surprise you, but in the past I've had a lot of sex. <laughs> <laughs> that too, that too. Now I've had people and and they, they have either questioned me and said, you know, oh, so do you identify as asexual? Or they've said to me that, no, you are asexual. It's a label that people have tried to put mm. on me. And the reason they've tried to give me that label is because I am a gay man who doesn't have anal sex it's not something I, I have in the past but it's not it's not something I've done in like six seven years and I don't really intend to do it again um, it's not something I enjoy so a lot of people come to me and say oh so you're asexual then and what I think is really interesting about that is like I couldn't identify any less with being asexual I consider mm. myself an extremely sexual person I have a lot of sex I love sex I have a bloody radio show where we talk about <laughs> sex every week you know um, but a lot of people are kind of I'm like I've seen your thirst trap Instagrams well you know you've know, you got to get them out there you've got to get the likes somehow <laughs> Rowan um, and I just think it's interesting again it's almost like it's always almost like veering into the territory of identity politics politics like you're you're this therefore you're asexual or you're not doing this right or you're not allowed to be asexual i've heard i've heard people say before you know you're talking about kind of asexuality and queerness i've heard people say that they have to go hand in hand i've, I've seen that said before that that you have to be lesbian or bi or or, or gay to be asexual which mm. is which is which is an, a nonsense i think or that being asexual is inherently queer mm. which i and I think that a lot of that comes down to trying to be legitimized and trying to find a community. And I think that actually it's much more useful to have asexuality as a community. I think that having aligning asexuality with queerness kind of makes sense as you're building a community and building an identity and tr and trying to get information out there and all that kind of stuff. But I think that there are so many people who identify as asexual who don't identify as queer and shouldn't be forced to. And that having a having those two communities that sort of overlap and can learn from each other, but can also allow us to support everyone within the asexual community rather than kind of gatekeeping them out of it, mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and being able to kind of identify in that way. But I th so I think it's really interesting saying that people have said like, oh, you must be asexual because I feel like that's such a weirdly heteronormative way of looking at it. It's like if a penis isn't going in a thing, and if it's not it entering a hole, sex? then it doesn't count as sex. <laughs> people legitimately think that way. Yeah, and it's and that. Yeah, I, I, I think it's such a weird handover from, from kind of like the default heterosexuality of saying, well, if you don't have sex this very certain way, you aren't having real sex, therefore you're somehow asexual. I feel like that's such a yeah. weird leap to make. But I think this is why you need the education to say, actually, this is what... 
this spectrum is and and people can self-identify and i think that self-identity is the really important thing absolutely and i think it is with with anything when it comes to identity so you make the decision not somebody else nobody else can thrust a label upon you Mm -hmm. shall we have some music rowan Mm -hmm. okay let's have um a little bit of 1950 by king princess and then we're going to get into some more juicy juicy topics I hate it when dudes try to chase me. What I want to talk about a little bit more is aromanticism. Is mm-hmm. do we even say aromanticism? Is that how we talk about aromantic people? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Uh, I think you touched upon it um, in our discussion um, a few minutes ago, but I think there's a, there is a big misunderstanding, and I think when people come to talk about asexuality they don't understand the difference between being aromantic and being asexual and i think that kind of feeds into almost the erasure of like queer identities and things like you were saying when people find out that you identify as asexual they say oh well you can't be a lesbian then Mm -hmm. um do do you want to tell do you want to explain to our lovely listeners a little bit about the difference between those two identities and what they mean um, I mean, so I'm I'm not an expert, uh, <laughs> but I think uh, essentially it's it's this idea that you you can and some not everyone but a lot of people might be able to separate out sex and romance, yeah, all those kind of two feelings. So everything that goes around with sex, so sex acts themselves, like feeling turned on, all of that kind of stuff, um, in kind of one side and then and the other side, which for some people can be really split down the middle and very separate, and for a lot of people it's very mixed in together, mm. is the more romantic feelings. And so for some people you can have one and not the other, or you can not have either, or you can have both. Um and so I think that there's kind of some interesting misconceptions that happen when you hear that. So for the sex-based stuff right for asexuality it's sort of the idea of like well you have zero sexual desire at all and then it's maybe you have some maybe your sex repulse like there's lots of different ways in which that can manifest and for aromanticism it's a similar idea i think that people think that you have like no emotions and you can't love anything or anyone um and i think again it's like looking at separating out different kinds of love and like the love that you might have for like family or for friends and then a very specific romantic love which is potentially something that some, that some people just don't feel. Yeah. Um, and so for them, they might be interested in sexual relationships with people, sensual relationships, friendship benefits relationships, you know, whatever that might look like. But the traditional idea of romantic love is, is not something that they're particularly interested in. Mm-hmm. And then I guess vice versa for... Um, for asexual people. And then people who are both asexual and aromantic... Um, might end up having relationships which don't look like any of the traditional models of what kind of romance looks like or a sexual relationship looks like but has a form of companionship that yeah. might range into like like I said about sensuality or companionship or you know these other things that we might get from a romantic partner who in our kind of society very much ends up becoming like the one and only like that's sort of the ideal is like yeah. this is the one person that you are with for for the rest of your life and they have <laughs> to provide so much stuff for you and like they have to be your best friend and the greatest lover in the world and like a ton of stuff a ton of pressure to put on someone and so it's kind of interesting seeing with asexual and romantic people the kinds of relationships that we start to build and what those look like that can be completely divorced from this very normal idea of like what romance is and what sex is and what those things should be because I guess you're throwing out the rule book completely and saying, you know what, I'm just going to look, I'm just going to, you know, what do I actually want from yeah. a person rather than going, oh, well, this is what society tells me that I have to have with the, you know, the, the sex and the, and the love and then the marriage and then the kids. And suddenly you're able to go, actually, no, what what do I want from this? What do I want to take away from yeah, this? Yeah, exactly. And, I, and, and also you have to 
think about the idea of like demi whatever that means so demi sexuality for example which would be someone who does feel kind of sexual attraction but maybe not immediately and and really has to get to know someone on that more kind of emotional romantic level um and so for them it might not necessarily end up looking any different other than the period of communication in the beginning being different mm. so the relationship itself might look very similar to how a kind of typical typical standard relationship in inverted commas looks like it will just the communication will be different um and i think that that's something that can be really useful for anyone like the idea that actually communicating with someone to work out not just blanket assuming that everyone is into every kind of sex and will immediately be into romance and what romance even looks looks like and how you display that to people and how you kind of uh reciprocate that um so yeah it's a re- i think it's a really useful thing to have these conversations even mm. if you're someone who doesn't necessarily identify as like on either of these spectrums but just to say okay well open communication there is like a whole list of stuff on both sides of the spectrum right on on the sexual side and on the romantic and and on the sensual side that you don't have to do all of them you don't have to like yeah. all of them yeah so let's actually have a conversation in our specific relationship and say like what are we interested in together so so, so i guess you're saying that everyone can benefit from learning about these things they can indeed well when it i feel like when it comes to like represent representation and things we, we don't see a romantic people asexual people really anywhere um, I have one example of where there's kind of some kind of representation of a- asexual people, but not really. Can you think of any yes. examples? Yes. Oh my god, which has just happened. Hit me. In Emmerdale. Okay. So there is a character in Emmerdale. Um, oh my god, whose name has literally gone out of my head as I was saying that. Um, she is, and the only reason I know about her is because I watched the edits of her brother and her brother's boyfriend on YouTube because they have a very long-standing relationship, Aaron and Robert, on Emmerdale. And so she has just been quietly in the background, but she has been like very much confirmed at this point to be asexual. Like she's talked about it with her brother. They've had conversations. She's kind of got this relationship happening with this boy, which has a load of other drama behind it. But they have been really communicative about the idea that she doesn't want to have sex. That's not for her. She doesn't feel like that. And it was so weird to watch because as it was happening, I was like, is this going where I where you think, think it's, it's going. going and yeah it's literally been in the last few weeks to months that this has suddenly kind of come out and it's been really interesting yeah seeing it play out especially in a, a, a brother-sister relationship with yeah. a brother's gay and what that looks like and and kind of allowing him to examine his prejudices in terms of like him thinking of her as a little sister who doesn't really know what she's kind of what she wants or thinks that this guy might take advantage of her and her having to be like look think about what it was like when you were coming out and how difficult it was for you like this is this is something this is I'm also I'm, yeah. dealing with which I thought was really really lovely that's so interesting and, and, and how did that make you feel seeing that it was great it was and it was and it's done really casually like she's a very chill character in general I'm so annoyed that I've complete her name has completely gone out of my head I'm it's gonna look at Liv it Dingle yes oh my god who just messaged you <laughs> yes yes I have sneaky oh producers my in my ear so yeah no she it's she's such a chill character anyway and she's so sarcastic and she's so just like brilliant and she's got a load of other stuff going on at the same time so she's having issues with her education and her exams and failing her exams and like other stuff happening and then this was just kind of slipped in there so casually and so just like yeah it wasn't I didn't see any press about like new asexual character on Emmerdale mm. which was really interesting yeah. and so good in terms of you know it's not like being scandalised yeah. but also I kind of wish that more people had Known like been told it. about it because I only knew because I was you know looking at the, the gay representation <laughs> and, and have you seen uh, Sex Education on Netflix? 
Oh, oh Rowan Grimmest. Yes, I have. <laughs> so, I so my have. question with Sex Education, it's a great show. We even had some of the cast um, on, on here, which was great to discuss things with them. But like, I'm really interested in Otis, the main character. Oh, man, yeah, um, same. Because he has almost, like, he has uh, asexual tendencies. I don't know how I would even describe, but he, he doesn't really in, seem to enjoy sex. He doesn't, he, he feels really uncomfortable when he tries to masturbate. But then... I feel nobody ever, his mum's a, you know, like a sex therapist and even she never turns to him and says, Otis, do you think maybe you're asexual? And I thought that was really interesting because that show is so diverse and inclusive and discusses so much and they seem to skirt around the idea of Otis's sexuality. And I I, I, I was puzzled by it. I'm like, oh, in in the next season, are they going to go into it a little bit more? Um, I think that, oh, no, that's a spoiler. I won't say that. I mean, you can't say it, but basically at the end of the season, it suggests that that isn't going to be where they go in season two. Yes. Um, I was kind of just a bit like, oh, it was everyone who I was, when I was watching it, I was also looking at Twitter and seeing other people were saying as the episodes were going on. And so many people started being like, are we, is this an asexual? Yeah. Yeah. And like, how interesting would that be to have an asexual sex therapist? teenager like working and like actually great representation but also just like yeah. really fun and funny and light-hearted and like and the journey for this character becoming owning the fact and being comfortable with the fact that you don't have to force yourself to masturbate you don't have to force yourself to be in a sexual relationship yeah and then they did definitely that didn't happen and so <laughs> it was it was just really frustrating because it is i do think the like representation that isn't named especially with identities that are so n- unknown isn't represented that's not what that looks like and i yeah. think this was treated in the narrative in such a way of like this is something that's wrong and it, it was well, it never was, yeah. it was never talked about in like a, actually this might be an option way and all the, characters kind of are, all the characters around him are like, oh, how do we overcome this? Yes. It's not like, oh, this is the way you feel. That's cool. It's like, how do we fix you? Yeah. Which I, yeah. And I think that weirdly, so like I have virginismus, which is the same as another character within the show. And that was also a storyline that I felt like was dealt with in a really not great way. Yeah. And that it was kind of like, oh, she just had to ro- ro- ride a bike down a hill and let go. And, and then, then she was better. cured. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not how that works. And it really... There's a lot of stuff in that show that I don't have personal experience of that made me think like, oh, have they dealt with those things in a not quite complete way? Because mm. because this show that uh, it does do so much and there were some really amazing storylines and I felt like the pregnancy storyline was dealt with in a really brilliant way for yeah. a storyline that is quite like on the surface cliche for a teen show. It's like someone's going to get pregnant, you know what I mean? But the way that they dealt with it was so it's very beautiful. Very sensitively done, yeah. But there were just these other things that didn't quite pull together. And I feel like it's, it is difficult in a show like that when there are so many plot lines to have, to do them all justice. But I kind of wish that they brought on, like it didn't feel like they'd brought on any consultants who were asexual or any t- spoken to anyone with vaginismus who could actually talk about what that might look like yeah in, I, th- I, I think it was like a, a great leap in the in the right direction mm-hmm. but if there's a, you know if there's a the goal place we want to be i don't think we've quite reached it with a, yeah. with any show you yeah, know yeah, i think course, it's it's something course. that everyone needs to kind of improve upon mm-hmm. rowan you have been a lovely guest um before well, I, before you. i let you slip away um i'm really interested as it is lgbt plus history month to know who your queer icon is I am choosing, very topically, uh, Ruth Hunt. Ah, Stonewall. Um, yes, who used to be at a symbol. She's just actually stepped down, but I um, knew her from when I was really young. I did the first... Um, it's, I, don't, I think it's completely changed now, but it used to be this youth leadership thing where a load of people who had like displayed LGBT leadership in their communities um, came and did this training course about like authenticity and how powerful that can be as you go into your future and in the workplace because there were a lot of people there who were worried about like ever coming out of work at that time when I was 18. 
and Ruth was one of the session leaders because she's been at Stonewall for like 15 years yeah. she's incredible and she was honestly one of the most inspiring incredible like authentic supportive people that I've ever like had the pleasure to be like taught by I guess yeah and finding out that she's stepping down I'm like I she has like there's a massive boots to fill and I, I'm so excited to see kind of where she goes next and where Stonewall goes next but yeah she is from a personal point of view incredible but also from everything that she's done and like being with Stonewall when they've announced just announced their partnership with UK Black Pride and and really getting the transgender conversation like included in Stonewall which yeah. wasn't always the case um from a few years ago she's just like absolutely developed that that organization to something that I am like so proud that we have in our in our country so yeah she, she is an amazing woman I, I i once saw her do a talk and it was kind of about being more inclusive of trans people and she was speaking about the lgbt plus community as being like a tent and she was saying you know we're all inside here partying celebrating but it's but it's it's, it's, it's mostly gay men there's a few lesbians in this tent and and all the trans people are stood outside and we need to we need to make a change and do that and and her leadership has led stonewall to being unbelievably trans inclusive and, mm-hmm. and really forwarding um rights and other issues so yeah Shout, shout out to Ruth, incredible Yay, Ruth. woman. Uh, Rowan, you have a YouTube channel people may want to check out. Yes, I do. What is it? Um, it's Rowan Ellis. If you just search for Rowan Ellis on YouTube, it's me and a guy who thinks he does like bodybuilding videos and it becomes very apparent which one is which. Um, you, should, you should be able to tell the difference <laughs> I'm going to go check out the bodybuilder I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest well Rowan you have been an absolutely amazing guest thank you so much for coming on we are going to be joined by the lovely Anik very shortly but before that let's have a little bit of cheers this is by Maria I'm not sure if it's Maria Conts or Maria Counts but look it up on Spotify good song This is LGBT Plus History Month. I'm now joined by the absolutely lovely Anik. Thank you so much for coming in and joining us. Thanks for having me on. Do you want to tell our lovely listeners about yourself and everything that you do? I know you do some like incredible work. I don't know if we're saying activist. People, a lot of people don't like that yeah. word. Yeah. Um... I mean, I am very active, <laughs> not, not in the physical sense. I go to the gym. <laughs> I don't go to the gym. I, yeah, I haven't been to the gym in a very long time. Yeah, but I do a lot. I work with a lot of charities and organizations um, that want to help other people. So my main job is working for a university and I work for their career service. So I help students who um, want to find work and find mentors in particular areas that are kind of difficult to get into. Yeah. Um, I also am the comms um, officer for UK Black Pride. So that's something I've I didn't know that. That, 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 yeah. that is amazing. <laughs> so I basically ask, answer the question um, all the time. Why do we need a UK Black Pride? Oh, you, you must get annoyed when people ask that question. It's, it's, it's quite a contentious issue, isn't it's, it? It's a very contentious issue because I'm like, why can't we have one? Yeah, when, yeah, when yeah, absolutely. <laughs> whenever someone says that to me, I'm like, well, are why, you saying we can't have one? Yeah. Or are you basically just asking me to talk about it? So um, that's one thing I do. I'm also on the board for a charity called The Mix, which provides essential support to under 25s on a wide range of different issues. So um, that could be anything to do with gender, sexuality and relationships to money issues or education or homelessness. So there's no one particular thing. And then I also um, I'm a creative leader at the Roundhouse and... Um, so many, th- so many things. <laughs> just, just yeah. fingers in every and pie going. And I'm also volunteering at Great Ormond Street Hospital as well. Amazing. So quite, quite a lot. 
But in terms of what I do most, I talk about intersex activism. Yeah. I talk about intersex lives. And I made a film called The Intersex Diaries, um, which was produced by um, someone on a Radio 1 called Emily Dix. And it was directed by someone called Gigi Owa. And it is an absolutely if I might say so myself, an incredible film which looks at what it means to be intersex for someone who kind of didn't really know the word growing up. So yeah. I never really knew what it meant. And so I made a film about finding out I was um, intersex and finding out what that word really means. Yeah. So yeah, that's a lot of what I do. I go around and talk about what intersex is to people so that we can start having this conversation that needs to be had. I I, I, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned growing up because I don't think I heard the term intersex until I was well into my 20s when I was already working in sexual health, when I was already kind of so involved in the LGBT plus community. I still wasn't aware of this term. Mm. And I, I, I genuinely think it was maybe four, maybe five years ago that I heard intersex for the first time yeah and you know i had to be educated on it and i'm going to be honest with you i i really don't know much about being intersex even now mm. i could give you like my layman's understanding of of of, of what being intersex means um but i think maybe it would be better coming from you yeah i mean a lot of people don't really know what it means or have never heard the word before and i'm not just talking about people who've never had to deal with it but even GPs and doctors and medical students um, who you'd think really? would know about it. That's shocking. Don't really That's know about shocking. it. So um, I, I, I and a lot of my um, fellow activists go and do talks at hospitals and um, at universities to explain it um, to different people. Because I remember when I first um, spoke to my GP, um, she didn't really know what the word intersex was, but she mm. knew all the medical terms sure. that were associated with it. So intersex is an umbrella term and it is used to define people who have variations in their sex characteristics so that can be anything from your chromosomes to your hormones um to having gonads um it's all kinds of different things and it's all to do with biology so it's something you're born as but for some people it's not as um something that's evident at birth so for me it was evident at birth they looked down and were like what is this is this a vagina is this a penis they had no idea yeah um, and to chop off, I was born like a couple months early. So they thought, oh, maybe it'll grow. But maybe it's a complication to, yeah. of that, etc. So maybe we have no idea. So I was born in like 1995. Um, and luckily I was born towards the end of a lot of um, kind of discrimination towards intersex people in the terms that people were using phrases like hermaphrodite before yes and intersex was a term that was becoming more and more used um around the time i was born but i didn't actually hear it until i turned 18 oh wow so um terminology is such a big deal within the intersex community and some people do not like the word intersex yeah some people prefer variations of sex characteristics sure some people prefer um to say hermaphrodite but some people find that really offensive i was going to say i always understood that that was a derogatory term i grew i, I didn't grow up hearing the mm -hmm. term intersex but i did hear hermaphrodite which and i it was, find very strange it was always used in, in a negative context mm -hmm. but it was also only it, it, people use that term to in, suggest that a person had both sets of genitals rather than mm -hmm. them having um, what do you say, sex characteristics variations in variations sex in, yeah. in, in sex characteristics I mean um, the word hermaphrodite isn't exactly um, accurate really because a lot of intersex people don't have both sets of genitals mm. um, there are very rare variations where that can occur or yeah. something that looks like that can occur but when you actually get down to it it isn't what's actually happening 
So um, for someone like me, um, every intersex story is different, but um, I presented when I was born as um, someone who looked like a girl, but then they weren't sure because I had something that was very little, which they thought could be a penis. Mm. So they tested my chromosomes and said um, that I have XY chromosomes. Now, um, if we go a bit into biology of what we learn in school, um, usually XY is what we see in males and XX is what we see in females. Yeah. So they saw that I had XY chromosomes and they kind of coupled that with a bunch of other things and said, okay, so maybe if we wait, everything will be fine. But then they noticed that I had something called hyperspadius. Now, hyperspadius is a variation of um, sex characteristics where when you have a penis, um, there is a slit or a hole somewhere along the side of the base of the penis. And instead of peeing from the top, you pee from somewhere else in between Okay, interesting. Um, so when they saw that, they decided that they needed to perform cosmetic surgery to close that. So, and, and, but this is still when you're a baby. This, this was um, when I. It started when I was four months old. Okay. So they were planning it for that whole time. Yeah. Because I was obviously they didn't know if I would even survive because I was born early. But um, between the ages of um, four months, when my first fat, uh, surgery started, to um, last August was when they finished really. So, again, I, I, I apologize for my ignorance. When, but when we're talking about these, these like surgeries when mm-hmm. you're younger, um, I don't want to use the term corrective surgery because I feel like so, that's almost offensive. Mm-hmm. So they used to be actually wrong. called normalizing surgeries, if you can believe that. I, that doesn't <laughs> seem okay with me. That, seem, that seems offensive. Do, yeah, do and you if agree? We, absolutely. And if we go into the history, because it is LGBT plus history month, um, these kinds of surgeries really started on intersex infants um, and people who... Um, are potentially intersex in the late 50s and 60s. Mm. And it was all based on a case of a child who wasn't intersex but had a botched circumcision. Um, so something went wrong during his circumcision and a doctor decided that because gender is a social construct, if you raise this child as a female and we perform surgery to turn um, the penis into a vagina, oh my gosh. you will be able to create a normal girl but he must never know that he was born that way so it was something that was never even about an intersex person but it was someone who it was dr john money and he believed that um gender is such a social construct that nature doesn't really count and presumably this child grew up and and understood that they were were a man like a trans person would grow up they, they found out um I, I don't always remember directly when, but they found out when they were an adult. Yeah. And after years of not fitting, fitting in, they found out the truth that they had all of these surgeries when they were little. But throughout all those years, this doctor and other people were supporting this theory, saying that, yes, gender is a social construct. We can continue to do all these surgeries and we can apply it to intersex kids because if it doesn't look right, we can perform cosmetic surgery to... Um, fix it but but but, but uh, we're against that right or or, or, or no because are there medical benefits sometimes mm-hmm. so where, sometimes where do we stand? sometimes um, a person can need surgery and sure. that's if they for example they can't pee yeah um, or it's a medical emergency yeah but in a lot of circumstances it happens where a person doesn't actually need surgery and um, people are trying to get the child to fit into a box trying yeah. to fit into a binary which its body doesn't exist in um, so if they grow up um, as an intersex baby, apparently that's the worst thing that could possibly happen to them. That's what doctors used to think. Mm. So they would advocate for um, if your penis was below a certain, um, I think it was something between like 
um, if it was under five centimeters, they would then say when you um, you have to create uh, raise this child as a um, female instead, and they would perform um, surgery to basically remove the gonads, remove the testicles that this child would have, and tell the parents to raise them as a female. And um, I remember reading a medical textbook, and it said um, somewhere in there that it's easier to dig a hole than make a pole. And that was that kind was of, in a medical textbook. Um, it was a quote from some some doctor that was um, sure. performing yeah. these surgeries. So really, what happened a lot in um, I want to say after the seventies, um, still happens sometimes around the world today, is people who um, didn't fit society's expectations of what is a boy or a girl would have a cosmetic um, surgery and they will have a gender assigned to them based on what the doctor thinks Thinks is the best best. solution. So that's usually when a child is born with an intersex variation um, that is visible. What would a birth certificate say? Would it say intersex or would they try and put it into a box? They would decide. That's one of the reasons um, doctors especially um, and parents actually want to do these surgeries because they need to fill out the birth certificate so they need to put male or female yeah now in germany they've recently done um something where if you are intersex you can have an x on your birth certificate now that's something that intersex people actually never really asked for and there's um a lot of non-binary people that wanted that but it's Mm. not applicable to them because they're not intersex so it's really interesting when we're seeing laws starting to emerge that are finally acknowledging that intersex exists but then um, they don't actually listen to what intersex people want because some intersex people may may be non-binary, but some of us do fit into a binary. So we do identify as male or female mm. or somewhere in between. It's really It really depends on the person. Well, that, that was going to be my next question when it comes to identity. I guess, mm-hmm. are there a lot of intersex people who are raised with whatever... Um, intersex characteristics they kind of exhibit and then they later decide to be non-binary or would they then in adult life decide okay so now I've decided that I want to be male Mm -hmm. rather than intersex and then I will have cosmetic surgery so it really depends because not every intersex um, variation is the same so it really will depend on how a person is brought up and um, I know a lot of people who were raised female and they thought they were female and they still identify as female. But when they got to puberty, they didn't have their period. Mm. So all of a sudden they went to a doctor and they were like, what's what's going on? And um, I'm talking about one of my friends in particular here. Um, her doctor found out that she has cancer or said to her that she has cancer. And so they um, told her she had ovarian cancer and she then had to have those um, gonads removed but she didn't know that's what they were right so okay. she wasn't actually told the full story yeah and um, she ended up having all of these surgeries and never really being told the truth until a lot of time passed and then her parents actually sat her down and told her and I know someone who is in their 70s and they didn't find out until they were 50 that they were intersex because one of the things is with these surgeries comes with um, comes secrecy and shame and just hiding all of these things. Yeah. And um, for people who find out later in life, it can be really something that they weren't expecting. Yeah, one hundred percent. So it seems borderline dangerous to keep something about you know that's really it's their biology to so keep that away was, from them. Yeah, and it was said in like the sixties and seventies that if you tell a child that they are intersex, it will ruin their lives. 
And there has been um, research that says if you tell a parent that their child is intersex, it has a similar effect of telling them their child has cancer. So we are generally, as a society, seeing intersex as such a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And what the work I'm trying to do is um, explain to people that intersex is normal and we need to talk about it more so that we're not faced with a position where suddenly um, we may have a child or know someone who is intersex and not know what to do about it. Yeah. Because people think every intersex person is anti-surgery. That's not true. Yeah. Um, some surgeries are needed. Some surgeries are medically necessary. But in some circumstances, and probably most circumstances, it's better to wait until the child can make an informed decision and decide what to do with their own body. Yeah, 100%. Especially if it's a cosmetic surgery. Uh, w- w- when would that usually come? Would we, because I know that there are, you know, transgender children mm-hmm. who start transitioning at a young age now. And, and, and I fully support that. I think that's a great thing, you know, as long as they're given the correct medical guidance, etc. Yeah. Um, you know, I know that there are also people who argue that they need to be 18, etc. Um, mm-hmm. what, what, what would you, where, where would you say? Well, this is where my law degree came in handy. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I spent a while researching this topic um, because I spent a year in Australia where they had different laws on intersex and trans kids and also um, having brought, being brought up in the UK um, and having all of these surgeries. I consented to having hormone treatment from the age of 10. I look back now and think, did I really know what I was saying yes to? Or mm. Because I was told that, oh, we're just going to try these injections and hopefully you'll be normal after that things will work out for you. And that was something a doctor said to you? Doctors, endocrinologists, nurses. Sure. Um, And I didn't really speak to my parents much about it. And it's Mm. not a language thing. They do speak English. But it was um, just something that we didn't really talk about aside from when we were in front of doctors. And um, whilst I was filming my documentary, I found out something really um, shocking, which was that my mum couldn't pronounce one of the medical terms and she went to a doctor when I was probably about five years old and having reoccurring problems from surgery. She asked them um, what hyperpadius is instead of saying hyperspadius. And the nurse just laughed at her and said, you don't need to worry about it, it's fine. Just sign this paper and it'll all be sorted. Yeah. What? Do you, you can't so say that. That's, that's what happened to my mum. And oh my from the age of five to ten... Um, she really didn't know what to do. She yeah. didn't really want to engage with um, doctors or nurses or anyone like that. Because they're not giving the information. They're not making it a dialogue. They're not. But she never even knew what intersex was until I started yeah. researching it. And when I started to explain it to her, she was like, no, you're just a normal boy. This is just a medical thing. Mm. And this is where identity comes into it a lot. Yeah. And this is where it gets kind of challenging within the LGBTQIA plus um, community because a lot of people say to me, you don't really belong in the LGBT community because yours is a medical thing. And to me, what they're saying is the rest of that is a choice, but you were born with a biological exception, so you shouldn't be part of that. And I don't see it like that. No, not at all. Because I look at the shared history we have and the truth is... Um, being gay was medicalized and conversion therapies existed and still do exist. Kind of very similar to the fact that intersex is very heavily medicalized, um, even though our bodies are most of the time really fine and you can do whatever you want with them. Um, you can be and you can have a healthy life as an intersex child, but that's not really spoken about. Yeah. 
Um, and people will say to me, no, but that's about sexuality. And yours is kind of just not about sexuality. At the end of the day, it's, it's, it's heteronormative and cisnormative ideas trying to place us into a box. I feel like that's the thing that we have in, in common. You know, people mm-hmm. trying to oppress us in one way or another. And I think yeah. intersex people absolutely belong to, as and, part of the community. You know, some people who are intersex identify as straight. And it was something that Rowan was saying earlier, mm. which um, really resonated with me about um, ace people also feeling like it needs to be some ace people feeling like it needs to be kept separate as well. Yeah. And I don't know. Personally, I feel like that comes down to a lot of people still feeling like intersex is um, a biological thing, whereas everything else is a choice or yeah. there's something wrong with intersex people that needs to be fixed. And um, surgeries are something that are still very much going on and very much alive in every part of the world. Like there are very few number of countries and um, states that have in, even any information about it. Yeah. Um, California has produced a bill that they want to ban um, cosmetic surgery that's irreversible um, on babies and wait until a child is old enough to make the decision. And they say delay is okay. Okay. Now, that's the kind of thing that I want to see here in the UK. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one of the greatest things that the intersex movement has achieved in the UK is um, in January, the government actually um, released something called a call for evidence. And they want to know what's going on with people who are born with variations of sex characteristics, um, people who are intersex. People so case who, studies into individual yeah, stories. Because um, one of my friends, Mega, made a documentary, and in that documentary, the NH, someone from the NHS confirmed they have no idea how many surgeries have been performed, and they have no idea how many surgeries are currently still um, being performed on a daily basis around the country. Yeah. So the NHS has no reliable statistics on this. The UN say like one point seven uh, of the population to two percent is intersex, and the truth is that's probably like some variations, but some other variations can be really common. Like yeah. hyperspadius was one of the variations I was born with, and that happens in one in every 250 boys. It's just the severity of it which makes it different. And the problem with that is doctors will decide if someone is intersex enough. So I remember having conversations with my GP, and she would say, mm, but are you really intersex? Because... You have XY chromosomes, you look like a male. And I was like, I look like a male because by the time I've come to you, I've had multiple surgeries and hormone treatments to make me look this way. I don't know what I would have looked like or what my genitals looked like when I was actually born. Yeah, so it, so it, says, it sounds like there's so much more education needed, you know, not just to the general populace, but yes. also to, you know, medical professionals. Yeah, and it's just a conversation that needs to be had. And I want midwives to talk about it to people who are pregnant. I want us to learn about it in schools. 100%. I, th- I, think, I think it's so needed. Uh, Anik, you have been an amazing guest. I wish we could talk about this more. I have so many more <laughs> questions, um, but that is about all we have time for. Um, I do want to ask you one last thing, though, mm-hmm. um, as we are celebrating LGBT Plus History Month. Um, I'd like to know who your LGBT Plus icon is, and I'm, 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 uh, I'm kind of hoping it's an intersex person. Oh, well, I don't know of any like famous intersex people myself. Well, they're, 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 they're coming out. Hopefully yeah. they're coming yeah, they're, out. They're coming out soon. <laughs> um, I'd have to say it is the founder of UK Black Pride, Lady Phil, because... I love Lady Phil. Uh, she's what incredible. And because one of the things is I didn't really know who to talk to about my story. And before my documentary was even released, she found me and said, 
I've um, read what you have been um, writing. I've spoken to people about you. And I think we need to do more about this. And she's someone who really champions the voices of people who have been othered or dismissed. Absolutely. So she, she's, she's a icon. hero. And, and remind our lovely listeners, what is the name of your documentary? The Intersex Diaries. And it's available on iPlayer and also on YouTube. Amazing. Anik, you have been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you to Rowan Ellis for joining us earlier as well. And all the incredible guests we've had for our LGBT. BT Plus History Month specials. It's been an incredible month and it's it's a real pri- uh, it's a real privilege to have been able to do it. Thank you again, Anik. Thank um, you. I'm going to play you guys out with a little bit of Hedonism by Skunk and Anzi. You've been listening to a FUBAR Radio podcast. For more information, go to FUBARradio.com.